welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. So I'm feeling this sort of Holy Spirit disruption. Um, what's the word? Just a sense of the things that would fuel and fill me and no longer doing that. Meaning, I feel like there's an upgrade in what he's always had for us, but actually attaining it and experiencing it. We've all got dreams in our heart of what us and God can look like. The promises and the prophecies and the articulation and the descriptions of what a person and God could be like is ingrained in us. We we were born for an appetite for the Lord and not just the Lord with principles running that thought, but the Lord with presence running that. Because religion is a bunch of principles and an attempt to get to God, but but living from presence is uh, life-giving and full of peace. And we were designed to experience Jesus in the ways that he designed, not the ways that we think it should be according to who we are and what we're about and what we've done and what we haven't done and what we think we are and what we deserve. Um, so I've been just thinking, even yesterday, I was, I was telling Steve, like we had Jude's party and it was all good and, and I'm learning how to um, just manage my life and, and, and doing a really good job of that, by the way, um, with everything I've been learning over the last 18 months, with the way that I'm wired and, and, and everything like that and getting overstimulated and cooked and fried and um, just learning how to manage that and overstimulate it and, and it's really good. Um, and as I said to you guys, it's good doing the, the management thing and the learning thing, but it's like, okay, where's the presence of God in that? And we jump from one or the other a lot, and I'm like, oh, I need you in this process with me because there's brilliance in me, so I don't want to just get healed of ADHD. I, I want to lean into the brilliance of it because you created me and, and put things in me that are specific to me, just like you. Yeah. Like you were actually born to change the world. Yeah. And you, you, I mean, it's not a, a large thing where you influence 7 billion people. You know the context of that line. It's the world around you, those in front of you. It's stopping for the one. Love looks like something every day. Yeah. Love has to look like something. Like you were actually called and chosen to change your world, the world. And if all believers do it, we're affecting people every day. The, the couple of billion believers every day are influencing a couple of billion people that don't know him. Can you see what happens? So I feel like there's this uh, almost like an unsettling but feeling good about it where the things that were exciting me or I was doing, they're not doing the same thing for me that they did because I feel like there is an upgrade. And yesterday I felt that. I'm like, I just need to go and lie down in our wardrobe because that was the quietest place in the house. Um, So I just lay in there for about 15 minutes just sort of praying in the spirit. I'm like, have we forgotten about the praying in the spirit thing? 
like, am I, am I, am I swapping supplements, having supplements now, and instead of praying in the spirit? I'm like, both are really good, but let's not forget praying in the spirit, because Paul said it edifies yourself, but the prophecies edify the church. I was like, oh, I think he's just wanting to strip things back so that we make the main thing the main thing. Because we can easily get into religion, which is formula, having a form, a part of godliness, but denying the power. Paul actually says, don't hang around those people in Timothy. So yeah, I'm feeling this. I'm feeling this, this invitation, and we've been talking about it all year, but to lean in and actually for, for him just to become our life. Paul says in Colossians, a phenomenal line, he says, and then God, comma, who is your life. It's a cracker line, but it's super confronting. Because I think, for me, we can just get caught up in the, in the grind, in the, in the grind of work and the machine of church. And we get swept up in it and we miss the main point, which is becoming like Jesus and encountering his presence. And changing the world by you giving what you've freely received. Not an offering message. It's a power message. Matthew 10. And, and I see this in Peter. And I see myself in Peter. He had ADHD. Um, <laughs> oh, he obviously did. Um, so, but I, I, I see... I mean, we, we can see, I love the humanity that is displayed in Jesus, but also in Peter, which is a great reflection of us and who we are, but what's available. It's not, it's not a, this is unattainable. The Paul being a serial killer deal, Peter being an absolute mess, and Jesus limiting his, his, um, his divinity, limiting uh, his status as... Um, 100% God, 100% man, but limited himself to being a man to show what we could be like and access and live like, that's a big deal for us. The, the Peter deal, the, the Paul deal and the Jesus deal of modelling what is possible for us. And I love the life of Peter. I love that when Peter, uh, when Jesus saw Peter, he actually saw Acts 2 before he saw Peter at the boat. Because there's, there's an oak tree in an acorn. And you're more than what we see now. Like you are much more than what we see now. You're much, husbands, your wife is much more than what you see. Even after a long period of marriage. Wives, your husbands are much more than what you currently see. There's more grace on them. There's more gifting in them. There's, there, there's more passions and, and intricacies that are God-given that you get to pull out and see. We're, we're more graced than we realise. We have a measure of faith larger than we realise. And, and Jesus saw this in Peter. He saw all the, tri the, the, the tripping over, the fumbling, the denial, the, the, the weird stuff he said, the mistakes, the threatening to, oh, that was James and John, threatening to burn the city down. That was an interesting one. He goes, guys, you don't know what spirit you're from. 
He saw it all, but he still chose Peter. He saw the end and he saw the middle and he still chose Peter. Matthew 4, 18 to 19, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Phenomenal, phenomenal. I don't think we really understand what we get ourselves into when we say yes to Jesus. That's why I guess it says we work out our faith with fear and trembling. It's a process where we're saved, but there's this process of believing what we agreed to, what we said to. Like, it's hard to really um, agree to the full list of what being a believer looks like on that Sunday or that time. It's not an evaluation process of you having the pros and cons list and then choosing Jesus because the pros outweighed the cons. It's not this cognitive um, process where you make a logical, reasonable, sensible decision whether you should follow Jesus. Something happens in you and you've got to respond. Something immaterial deep within you happens where the Spirit of the Lord is drawing you to the Father and revealing the Son, Jesus, so that you can enter in through the body, through His body, which was the curtain, into a new and living way. And I don't know if Peter really knew what he was getting himself, he did not know what he was getting himself into, but something in him changed when he, when he felt the words, when he saw it. Maybe he heard some rumblings of what was happening. Maybe they were talking about the, the John the Baptist incident of announcing his the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, there would have been stirrings. There would have been happenings of the Messiah, what they've been believing for and praying for as families and generations and one day he will come. But I don't think he fully understood it and I don't think we fully understand it or understood it when we said yes to him. But by his grace, he welcomes us in and he doesn't force change. He doesn't command it, but he invites us into it. And it's out of encounter that we change. We don't punish people into purity. We're not giving an account for our disability. The accountability thing is not a, are you doing that? Are you doing that? No, no, no. It's you are so good and so great and so graced and so gifted that this is the life that you've been invited into and can live like. And when you don't, you are way better than that. And I love this, that Jesus saw Peter, called Peter, saw the end, saw the middle, saw it all and said, come and follow me. And Peter, without knowing what it was all about, but something happened in him, chose to follow. And that's happened to us, hey. And we don't understand it all. We don't get it all. And there's sometimes I think that as believers, I look at my friends and although they're without hope and without God and their eternal life is not secure, which is probably enough to, like, like to have that. But I look at it sometimes and just the process of becoming and believing, it just feels like hard work, even from a posture of rest and peace. It just feels like there's so much to think about, so much to do. 
We could write 500 things, what the Christian life entails for us to kind of remember ongoing. I don't think we understood that when we said yes to the complete change in what matters to us. But I've been feeling this just shift to the things that mattered aren't. And he's saying, come up here. He's saying, come up here. Because there's so much that happens with our journey with the Lord. There's so many ins and outs, ups and downs, lefts and rights, and he sees it all and he still chose you. And he called you to change the world. I want to share the Gethsemane story with you guys. And just around Peter in that. And he was called, he followed. There was a whole bunch of amazing things that happened and some interesting things that happened in the life of Peter and in his heart. And then we know that he got to announce the manifestation of Joel's prophecy. He got to pastor that Holy Spirit wild encounter. And then he got to lead the church. But between these, this fisherman and then the following to the pastor and the preaching, there's this interesting time that we can relate to and glean from for our life. Is that okay? So I want to highlight a few things and then just land with a few things just around, are we living from principles or are we living from presence? Are we living from principles or are we living from passion? The interesting thing about passion is you can't fake passion. It's challenging. But you, it's, it's a great, it's a great um, light on our dashboard where we're at in life. Because we can't fake passion. We can't fake hunger. When you're not hungry, you just, you don't want to eat. And it's very hard. I'm just not hungry. I'm just not feeling it. Sometimes I go out for breakfast and I'm like, oh, it's going to be the best breakfast ever. Buffet. Awesome. Seven plates of food. But I'm just like, I'm just not hungry. And you just can't force yourself to eat. So what do you do? You don't go out for breakfast. <laughs> but there's something about hunger and passion that I want to hit on a little bit as well. Matthew 26, 1. When Jesus had finished saying all of these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Jesus said, as you know. So he's been teaching on it. He's been preparing them. He's planning. He's fully aware of their heart and their emotions and their minds and how this is going to make them feel. But he's teaching on them. He's been saying stuff like, it's better that I go than the Holy Spirit's going to come. If I go to the Father, the presence will come and he'll be your guide, your advocate, your helper, your friend, the healer. He's going to come. It's going to be better. And they're not comprehending. But he's saying, as you know, I'm going to be crucified. He used these pictures of the temple being destroyed and rising again. And he's trying to help them. As you know, the Son of Man will be handed over to be 
crucified. He was being really clear, I will be crucified. Then it moves on. This is Matthew 26 and Jesus at the table and during Passover, who, he is the Passover lamb, breaking bread and the wine. What a powerful picture that during that time, he's, he is the manifestation of that lamb, of that sacrifice, of the blood on the doorposts where the angel of death would pass over. He's offering protection and life and eternity and, and, and a relationship with Jesus. And he's there talking and sharing. What a moment. And Peter's there. And he says this in verse 20 to 22. When it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the 12. While they were eating, he said, I will tell you the truth. One of you will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one Lord? It's concerning, but I love that they were greatly distressed. The 11, greatly distressed because of their passion for Jesus and what had been happening in them. They'd been taken out of the world and now their appetite and hunger and passion were for the things of the kingdom and the things of his presence. And they were greatly distressed that that could be taken away, that there would be something else that would take its place. Are you with me? Then moves down to verse 30. And after they, he shared, this is the cup, these are the, the cup of the covenant, the, 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 the broken uh, the bread for my broken body and the, the wine for my blood. He explains all of that. But then he moves on. It said, then they, then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. So they left the table and they went out to the Mount of Olives. On the way, Jesus told them, tonight all of you will desert me. For the Scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd And the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Mind-blowing stuff. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even knew me. Verse 35, no, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. Let's move on. Let's move on and then we'll, we'll, we'll hit some stuff. Okay, so now we're in Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane, 26, 36 to 50. We might not read them all, but we'll see how we go. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray, okay? He took Peter, so he, 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 he had the nine there, but then he took three. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He took the three with him and allowed them to see him sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, not the nine, not the 12, but the three, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said, stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and he became completely vulnerable before them. They're seeing another side of Jesus and I think that's really powerful. Really powerful to see 
him rightly, to see other facets of who he is. That's why encounters with the Lord are pivotal. And cru- I mean, saying pivotal is not even, we shouldn't even be saying that it's important. Like it is everything. Like encounters with the Lord. You shall know the truth, not study the truth, not educate yourself with the truth, not become smarter with the truth, not just get a doctorate with the truth, not just do this with the truth. You shall know the truth through experience and encounter. Where, where, where it's this immaterial space where you are meeting face to face with the Father that goes beyond what we've learned and been taught and what's right and appropriate. But unashamed, unabandoned, face to face encounters with the presence of God, with the face of God. There's nothing natural about the Christian life. Because there's nothing natural about God. Going on a little farther, a stone's throw away. Enough to hear him, Bible commentators say. So the nine are over there, the three are with him, and then he went on a little farther. A stone's throw. Enough, though, that he could still be heard. He fell with his face to the ground, enough to be seen. He fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. And can you imagine Peter, James and John, who have been prepared by Jesus for the crucifixion? Standing here, a stone's throw away, hearing Jesus say, I don't want to do this. Wild. Their eggs are all in one basket. Their chips are in the middle of the table. They're following him. They left the nets. They, le- they, they left their life and father and, and, and world to follow Jesus. And they've been prepared for this moment. They're being discipled by Jesus in the flesh. It's all good. Bless you. He's still here and he still loves you. But they're like standing here and, and they're like, okay, we're just going to pray. And then, and then Jesus is here and, he's, he, and it's not funny. But he's like, he is saying, I don't want to do this. And can you imagine like they're, they're just talking and praying and they hear it and they're like, hang on, hang on, hang on. What? Like what? What is happening? What is going on? Like, can you imagine the confusion and the doubt? And we know what confusion and doubt and fear and all the crappiness of our negative thoughts do to us when we start to go down into a spiral, question everything, like me on a plane. You know that when we taxi out? Oh, no, we're dead. So we've got to learn what every sound makes. And then I hear a new one. Oh, no, we're going down. Uh, 22 days until we're over the Pacific. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway, he is with me. It means nothing if you don't believe it. I do believe it. Just got to let it manifest a bit more. <laughs> but can you imagine, guys? Like, think of you and, and all the promises and the prophecies and what it should look like. 
prophecies years ago, prophecies two years ago, whatever, the promises of God that are yes for everyone, the specific things that prophecies allow and see. I love that prophecies are like promises, but more specific for you. Because the promises are prophetic because they're for you. But the prophecies are personal and specific and that's powerful. So we take both promises and prophecies and we, and we believe that the things are gonna look like that and I'm gonna live like that and I'm gonna say things like that and I'm gonna respond like this and, and I'm gonna feel like this. I should have peace 40,000 feet over the Pacific because I'm going to heaven, but I don't. So why? I'm confused, I'm upset, I'm not happy with it. I wanna enjoy the flight. I'm serious. And can you imagine these guys when he pipes up and says, I don't wanna do it. And they're like, what? We've given three years of our life for this and you're saying now you don't wanna do it. And not only that, he did it three times. Oh man, he, he, he said it again. <laughs> like, and then the third time, he is serious. And then, and then, and then like Jesus comes back, like it says, uh, Let's go, yeah, another translation says like Luke twenty two forty three. 43. How are we going for time? I'm oblivious to time, by the way, guys, sorry. Um, Luke twenty two forty three to 44, how's this? Because this gospel is not natural. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Ah, oh, sweet, yeah, cool. No, seriously, like, are you aware of angels? No, we don't have, we don't have time. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Then he returned, Matthew, back to Matthew. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? I'm not using this against you, by the way. Don't want to do that. Don't want to twist this scripture and hammer you for not praying. I'm painting a picture Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So three times he's asked God to take the cup from him, but then at the end of all three times, not my will, but your will. Phenomenal, amazing, great. But he's, he goes back and finds them sleeping. Jesus returns to them and he's covered in blood. So, anguish, agony, sorrowful, troubled, deeply troubled, and he goes back to the three, not the nine, but the three, and his face is covered in blood. And for me, like this is painting this beautiful picture of what he's about to do because it's the blood that allows us to see the face of God. So he's in this moment giving them a little trailer of what's about to come, but he's asking them, he's challenging them because he knows that this fear, confusion, wonder, what's going on is going to be their life. It's going to be our life all the time. Not riddled all the time, but just it's life. Stuff happens all the time. Sometimes big that we're, 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 we, hit, we get hit so hard that we're still spinning. And other times it's like, oh, okay, no, nah, I can see upgrade here. Sweet. But he's, he's still discipling them. He's still seeing them. He's still championing them. Man, this is so intense. 
And he's back and forward, back and forward, checking in, pray, back and forward, pray, take this cup, not my will, but your will. And then it lands down, he says, rise, let's go, here comes my betrayer, my betrayer. And it goes down to Judas betraying Jesus. And remember, Peter was called from the boat, up, down, left and right, taken to that three in the Garden of Gethsemane, seeing the vulnerability of Jesus, the, the confusion in Peter about Jesus saying he doesn't want to do it. And, and what there's so much going on in Peter and there's so much that happens in us. And then Jesus is arrested. And what does Peter do? John 18, 10 to 11, if Mitch could jump up. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off, cutting off, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Can you imagine Peter? You don't even want to do it though. (laughs) So I'm just, I'm going back to old mindsets and we're just, we're, we're going back to old school thinking. Not this gospel of peace and kingdom and presence and, and, and other, other ways of thinking. I'm, I'm going back to the sword because I'm freaking out. See, often we don't respond well when we start to get disappointed. Disappointment is a massive deal. Disappointment causes us to defer hope. Disappointment really hurts. If we don't know how to deal with disappointment, we We react. We've got to deal with disappointment quickly, not to stuff it down, but we, we've got to know a process when we get disappointed. We've got to take it to the Lord and talk to Him. We've got to talk to people. We've got to process disappointment. If we don't process disappointment, we stuff it down and it remains in us and we wonder why we react so much. It's because we haven't dealt with it and we're being triggered by it. And Peter's reacting because he's disappointed. A, because Jesus is going, but just... This whole thing doesn't make sense. And Jesus grabbed the ear and put it back on. I mean, far out. Like, like just modeling the, the kingdom. Like in the moment, like, this guy's about to kill me. Here's your ear back. Creative miracle. then Luke 22, jumping around these gospels. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. And I don't know why I preach it. I mean, I might've done it, just twist messages. (laughs) Don't wanna have a crack, but it says Peter followed from a distance. It's like, I don't know if he was following out of shame. I don't don't know. It doesn't say that. I think he was following because there was still a bit of hope there because he'd been there three and a half years with Jesus. I think there was just enough. There's enough deposited in him. He'd seen enough. So that following from a distance, I see that he's like, I've got to to watch what happens to him. I've got to see what's going on. And then we have the denial, which is wild. It's like, we just do crazy stuff when 
we're squeezed. If we haven't developed a history with the Lord, if we, if we haven't spent time with Him, time is our greatest strength and our greatest threat. So if we don't spend time with Jesus and allow those 500 things to land in our heart and process in the right season, He doesn't do 500 at once. What happens is we, we never learn and encounter the, Him as those things. So when things happen, which they will and do, we react to protect ourselves from more disappointment instead of, oh, I'm just always in step with you and this hurts, but I know how to respond. Reacting hurts us even more, but responding just takes us even closer. So he denied. He denied Jesus three times publicly because we, we, we react and we do crazy stuff when we're hurting, when we're disappointed. Then he was... He was crucified. He was, he was killed. He was dead. And you can imagine the despondence out of the disappointment that Peter's feeling. But then there was like news broke on that Sunday morning about something going on, something going on at the tomb. And Peter ran to the tomb. It's interesting, huh? Dejected, disappointed, hurt, freaking out, cutting the ears off. Hearing Jesus doesn't want to do it. Denied Jesus three times. Followed to see what was happening. His head's just spinning. All right, all right, this is happening. He's doing it. Okay, he's on the cross now. Yeah, and he's like taking note. All right, he's, he's dead. All right, all right, let's see how we go. And all he's got is hope. All he has is hope. All he has is hope. And it's not worldly hope that we throw around. It is the confident, eager expectation of good. Bible hope, God hope, the confident, joyful, eager expectation of good, which is not anchored in an outcome. It's anchored in a person. Our hope cannot be anchored in an outcome because the outcome we don't know. Our hope is in a person. And if our hope is in a person, when the outcome is different, it doesn't change the security in our heart because we have this anchor to our soul. So we ran to the tomb because hope, there was enough hope there. And then we know the story. They start encountering him and he's on the boat fishing again. And it said he was, you know, this is my favourite. He was stripped for work. And there would have been rumours happening and a whole bunch of stuff. Like, I mean, how, how do you hide, you know, big mass resurrection in Jerusalem? Graves opening, stones being split, temples split, curtain, four-inch curtain split. Like just wild scenes, earthquakes wildness stones gone can't move that stone you know like wild scenes in Jerusalem people that were dead are walking around like 
This is not a natural life, guys. And, and, and Peter's run to the tomb. Yes, awesome. Not there. And then he's on the boat fishing because often you just go back to what you know and what's comfortable, even if it's dysfunctional. And he's fishing, stripped for work. Someone says, it's the Lord on the beach. And, 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 and everything in Peter is just like come alive. And out of honour, he puts his jacket on, coat on and jumps in the water and he's doing freestyle to the beach. And there's a restoration process with the Lord where he says, do you love me three times because of the denial three times. And then he got called, even though he was called before Jesus saw him on the beach, there was this commissioning kind of restoration thing that happened on the beach over a barbecue. And and he was commissioned as the pastor of the early church and had the privilege to lead it. But what a life full of pain and mess and confusion and fear. And isn't it just like all of us? But you are called to change the world. You're not called to convince someone that Jesus is real by intellect or cognitive stuff. You're meant to release the power of heaven. You're meant to have conversations where the Spirit of God is leading you and guiding you because you've been praying for that person building relationships with neighbours, knowing your neighbours. Our our love for God's good, how's your enemy love going? How's your God love? Awesome. What about your enemy love? How's that going? Well, I got a bit harsh then, didn't I? You are called to change the world. And to be honest, nothing else is going to satisfy you. It's why we often feel a bit like, eh. And then we blame church. It's not feeling it. I'm like, oh, let's all show up, not here, with the Lord. And learn to spend time with Him and let Him do stuff in our heart. And, and, and allow Him to speak to those things that He put in me. I might be an accountant I might be a fisherman, I might be a stay-at-home mum, I might be a teacher, but he's put things in me to change the world. So I'm going to spend time with him so that he can work in me and on me and through me so that these things can start to land and I can become the person that can handle that dream. And the passion that comes out of that, not giving up, the passion that comes to keep that comes from keeping hope alive the passion that comes from hanging in there that the passion that comes from staying with Jesus the passion that comes is this beautiful fuel for you to see all the things that he wants you to see hope that makes sense could we stand So we can either live from principles and we rebuild the tabernacle of Moses with all the elements and the departments and we just live by rituals and routines and everything's in these nice boxes and we do this for that and honestly, that's an Old Testament way of living 
which is visitation-minded. But the Lord was torn open so that we would actually become the temple and we would become a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit and that we would become a resting place, the dwelling place working in us for us and our relationship with the Lord and a resting place for others so that we're releasing the kingdom wherever, everywhere we go because the kingdom of God is in you because the kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit, Romans 14, 17 says. And that lifestyle and mindset is a habitation mindset. We've got to leave the visitation mindset that's fueled by ritual and routine and move into this habitation lifestyle that is founded in passion and presence. And we will not be satisfied. Just like before Christ, we weren't satisfied and something changed. There's periods of time as believers where we hit these tipping points in our life where something again has got to change. And He's saying, all right, you've done great on that level. Now it's time to come up here a bit more. And then we go through that and we grow and we grow and we grow and we see, see testimonies and breakthrough and amazing things. And then He's like, cool, come up here. And then we do that again and the relationship grows and evolves and we see more about Him and more like Him. And He goes, great, come up here. And we keep growing and keep growing and keep growing. It's an invitation. So thank you, Jesus, for your presence. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to fake passion, God. It's not a harsh message for you. But I don't want to, I don't want to feel like I've got to conjure something up. Intentionality and discipline's awesome and required. But God, when I, when I spend time with you, like we have been on this 18 days, 18, I think it's the ninth, 18th day today, so good. A church spending time with Jesus every day. But I don't want to conjure it up, God. I don't want to conjure up passion for worship corporately. I want my heart to burn. I want to learn what it means to return to my first love. Yeah, so Holy Spirit, you're welcome to set hearts on fire again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Holy Spirit. Yeah, we give you disappointment now. Might not be a quick thing. You might have to take notes and, and do it with some more time, but... We'll, we'll get the ball rolling. Disappointment, God. Highlight the things that I'm still disappointed about. And let's, let's sort through that together. But yeah, burning hearts, God. 
burning hearts where we just don't care what people think. It's not a license to be jerks, but there's just something in us that I don't care. I'm lifting my hands. I'm going to approach that person. I'm going to sing outside the box of the songs we've chosen. I, don't, I just don't care how it works out. I, I've got to let my passion out. You've got to break off to the toilet at, at work and just pray. It's not super spiritual. That, that title's made up by insecure Christians who aren't passionate. We've got to drop that. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're inviting us into. And these next 22 days, you're going to do some phenomenal things to set us up for everything that you have in store, which you already know. In Jesus' name, amen.